You know, as we were starting here, I was humming a theme from uh, Hamilton. Uh, and I, I, you, you know, I realized we never really talked about this. Do you like musicals? Um, uh, pretty much. Generally, no. Uh, I didn't see Hamilton. Love the soundtrack. Um, there are some musicals I like. I'll walk out of a musical and be like, oh, I forgot that they're pretty cool experiences. But overall, there's something I roll my eyes at. Interesting. Okay. Um, for, for completionists out there as part of the CCG um, group. I was humming You'll Be Back, which Jonathan Groff sings as King, whatever, George, whichever king that was <laughs> back in the Revolutionary War. Uh, I, I love musicals. I've got like a curve where I grade musicals on, where it's like, if the movie's not great, um, but the soundtrack is fantastic, mm-hmm. it'll it'll get a positive review pretty much outright. I think a good example of that for me is I don't think The Greatest Showman is a great movie, but I love all the songs of The Greatest Showman. So Okay, so two things. One, I didn't know you were talking about movie musicals. Either way. Okay. Both, both work. Um, Two, didn't know The Greatest Showman was, was a musical. You didn't know The Greatest Showman was a musical. No, I thought it was about like a magician. No, it's about P.T. Barnum. Oh, but, I knew that. I didn't know it was a musical. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, one of the most popular musicals of the last like five years. Oh, okay. I don't think you would like it. Fair. You don't love musicals, so. I mean, no, but I kind of want to watch a movie it, about P.T. Barnum. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Hugh Jackman's A Day is obviously a good singer. Zach mm-hmm. Efron's a good singer. It's about how he started Michelle the Animal Crackers, or? <laughs> it's so fucking dumb. <laughs> uh i do love those animal crackers i've not had those in a long time is that a snack you enjoy oh I, I, yeah i used to used to eat them you can yeah. get some animal crackers after this yeah probably i don't know where they sell them you can get them I at don't even know. the animals in the cages is, on the cover it's kind of it's kind of barbaric i was gonna say he's canceled so is he i mean yeah it like that movie came out it was very popular and everybody's like all oh, right he was he was kind of a piece of shit so <laughs> Anyway, thanks a lot, Hugh Jackman. Uh, okay, that didn't have the mileage that I thought we would have on this topic. So you want to get into what we were watching? <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Been watching a lot of musicals lately. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> Can you imagine if you pulled the rug out for me like that? I'd walk out of the room. Um, yeah, I've been watching um, <laughs> Moulin Rouge. It's a musical, right? Yeah. Okay. One we've directly talked about because we both don't like Baz Luhrmann. Oh, that's right. Except I liked Elvis. Yeah. Well, you know, what you should be watching as you're back because <laughs> oh, I, I hate it. Elvis. I started with. What I'm I, coming around to it, but I, I started with what I was watching last week so why don't you start this week um there's a tv show that just started its second season on epics epix so i guess maybe it's not you know tv what's tv these days um called bridge and tunnel edward burns um does it there's like six to eight episodes in the first season this is the second season um you love edward burns i here's the thing i um or at least consume a lot of edward burns material so i, I there's a lot i have not seen I really like some of the stuff that he does, um, and I kind of want to get to know his whole filmography and stuff. Um, does a lot of independent stuff, so he can just make stuff he wants to make. There's a he has a book called Independent Ed that I'm looking at on my bookshelf right now, and it is great. It's just like a great book for any like artist who wants to just kind of be inspired to make their work or something. Um, it really like I, I read it in the middle of like not you know not being interested in like consuming movies and scripts and like trying to write stuff and i was like oh i forgot how you know how enjoyable the process could be um so bridge and tunnel is like it's it's a decent show um and it's just uh it's about um um you know college age kids in like the 80s um it's a very ed burns kind of show um so it just started the second season which i was kind of was pleasantly surprised that it had a second season because i wasn't sure you know when a show doesn't really pop in the first season especially these days everything's oversaturated it's like you don't think it's going to necessarily come back. And then with the pandemic and everything, I, I assumed it would really just whimper out. Right. Well, well, I mean, with specifically with epics, what else do they have going on? I mean, yeah, <laughs> I guess you got to you can give something a shot and see if it catches on. Um, 
my relationship with Ed Burns isn't as like great as yours is just because he he was uh, kind of a face for me from 2008 to like 2013 of like he was a he was a supporting actor in a lot of bad movies I saw mm-hmm. like uh, Man on a Ledge, which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Alex Cross movie with uh, Tyler Perry as Alex Cross. Oh, I did not see that. one. He was in 27 Dresses, which I do not care for. Uh, one Miss Call, a really horrible. Which one of the dresses was he? He was number 12. I thought that I thought was... no, I, that was me throwing my bit back at you. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, throwing your bit back at you. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, I don't, I don't know. What you this were, is. you were shocked. I went along <laughs> I was, with this. I was like, wait, there are twenty seven. Okay. Anyway, he's good in Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's my extent of. I'm glad you enjoy that. Yeah. Um. Um. There's something else I was gonna say. What was it? Um. Went to U Albany. And SUNY Oneonta. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do know that. He actually. Speaking of Tyler Perry, he actually like talks in his book about advice that Tyler Perry gave him, which was like, you know, I think he was, I, it's, I'm going to butcher it, but it was something to the effect of like, he really wanted to kind of branch out and do other stuff. And he's like, I don't want to just be known for this guy that like made a couple indie movies about like an Irish family or about like, and Tyler Perry, you know, uh, was like, your audience like knows what they want from you and like listen to them and like deliver the more stuff to them in that, in that vein. But, <laughs> Tyler Perry is the extreme of that. Yes. And so it's it's interesting because like you could certainly argue that Tyler Perry does that in a capitalization sense. Right. So, um, some would say exploitative and a little controversially. Yeah. Um, but how it, you know, the advice as interpreted or whatever by Ed Burns and delivered in the book is more of just like, it, it's very much like a write what you know kind of thing. He had a show that I wish lasted longer called Public Morals on TV that really kind of like combined two things that he liked, three things that he liked, which was Irish families, um, policemen and, uh, and um, kind of more mob stuff. Which obviously is right down your alley, given what yeah, we talked sure. about with the crew and what we've talked about with Ray and Tony. Yeah, and I really want to watch Public Morals, but I have to buy each episode individually on Amazon. And uh, just find it on like yet. a bootleg streaming site. Oh, I could do that now because now I have one of those. Yeah, which you've had to probably adapt adopt with this podcast that we do, right? Pretty much. Because a lot of the, some of the movies we watch, including the one we're going to talk about today, which we'll get to in you a know, few minutes. You know, you know, it is that I downloaded an ad blocker on my browser finally after years of like waiting, and it's been a game changer. So I love using this bootleg yeah. site now. Yeah, a lot of the movies that we review, including the one we're going to talk about in a few minutes, um, just simply are not available. Like, yeah. just for even for rental, you just got yeah, you just got to dig and find them. Yeah. What have you been watching? Um. So a couple weeks ago, you talked about you were watching. How, how's your Cheers journey going, by the way? Uh, haven't made a. I haven't moved at all since last. <laughs> it, I last it's spoke. Been two weeks. Since I'm, we I'm on episode. I'm in the middle of episode two. <laughs> Total. Oh wow. Yeah. So that's like what you've barely been watching. Okay. We're going to be upset theory. I, I am chugging along on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, I am at the tail end of the fourth season. Um, what what this show really says to me, first of all, it's a very funny show. It's very consistent. Um, I, I don't think it's the funniest show I've ever seen in my life, but consistently I get four to five really good laughs an episode. Mm-hmm. And the cast is great. They have fantastic chemistry. They're clearly all best friends in real life. They have a great companion podcast that's out right now where they go through every episode, kind of in a Talking Sopranos-esque, although they do not talk about the episodes, like, at all. <laughs> if they're 45-minute episodes, they talk about the episodes for maybe 10 minutes, and they just talk about their lives. Yeah. It's Charlie Day, Rob McElhaney, um, Glenn Howerton, uh, they do the podcast, and then, it's obviously, Caitlin Olsen and Danny DeVito are also huge parts of it. They all have great chemistry together. Uh, Rob McElhaney, oh, I can't say that name, Mac, and Caitlin Olsen's character, they're, I mean, or Caitlin Olsen. 
in real life are married. So mm-hmm. clearly they love each other. Charlie Day is married to a key supporting character called the waitress in right. real life. Um, and then Danny Vito and Glenn Howerton are awesome too. Danny DeVito was married to Rhea Perlman of Cheers, so it's full circle. Yeah, there you go. I totally didn't mean to do that. Uh, there, these show the shows are some of the episodes are really dated, like really dated, like like style of humor wise, mm-hmm. uh, and they don't really land as well. But there are some that are really funny. There was one I just watched about them trying to beat the gas crisis. That is so it's hysterical. It's <laughs> it's their best episode up to this point. I'm like I said, I'm at the end of season four, um, and I've got a long way to go because it's the longest running sitcom ever. Right? Isn't it the longest running? Um, yeah, in terms of years, at least. In terms of episodes, I don't sitcom, think it, obviously not yeah, the Simpsons. In, in terms of uh, episodes, I would say no. And I would say it still has its good share of fans. Um, sure. But what watching it has reminded me over and over and over and over again, this is not a new concept, but it really has reminded me of the influence that Seinfeld had. Because this, this show is so accidentally reverent to Seinfeld. It's like the Philadelphia response mm-hmm. to Seinfeld of New York. And it's obviously raunchier, but it's just about how the worst of humanity and these horrible people kind of get rewarded for being horrible. You know what right. I mean? They get comeuppance too. But like, even when they try to do something nice, like there's an episode where they, they get really intensely excited for Extreme Makeover Home Edition. And they're they're... They're trying to do a good deed, but their idea of a good deed is kidnapping like a like a Hispanic family, completely burning down their home <laughs> while they're trying to renovate it and like holding them hostage. These people don't speak English. So Caitlin Olson's character is trying to like communicate with them and tell them like everything's gonna be okay, but she's really saying, like, we're gonna cut you if you don't move. Like <laughs> and, like funny concepts like that, but like these are horrible people. And sure. Seinfeld did that first and it did it oh, you could say did it better for the time. Uh, but I think a lot of our generation has lashed onto It's Always Sunny because it's got that raunchier, edgier sense of humor that Seinfeld really didn't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that obviously, yeah, Seinfeld had like in, influenced a bunch of shows like that. I could definitely see that being an example of one um, that there are a lot of shows now that don't wrap up in a full house sense um, and maybe are lightly, you know, no, no consequence kind of shows. Um that's very much the norm, but it's rare that a show leans into it so hard. Yeah. Even now. And I think like if the show wasn't so self-aware about how awful these guys are, um, it'd be a little hard to watch. But it's very it's very clearly that they're ma- the, they are the butt of the joke of how racist, sexist, misogynistic, right. ridiculously stupid are. Like Charlie Day's character can't even read. Mm-hmm. And he's consistently huffing glue. And like, he, yeah, and he's like one of the he's the nice one of, of them. Um, but they're the butt of the joke. Like they're clearly like homophobic, but they're also... It's very clear to me, and I don't know if they're going to reveal this later in the series, that at least one of them is actually gay. Like, like just like the... Which they, one? They've been threatening, like, they're, Mac. They're, I, like, either I Mac or... Either Mac or Dennis, very clearly. Or they could be gay for each other, too. I think, like, they're definitely moving down that path at some huh. point. No, it doesn't have an end date, right? No, it's still going. Yeah, okay. It's still going strong, it seems like. Uh, I mean, they've, they've been doing other projects spread throughout, but, like... AP Bio, I know. Yeah, AP Bio, and then they have a show on Apple TV... That's like some kind of myth, like myth quest or something like that. Right. Kate Wilson um, had the Mick. I think that's. Yeah. yeah. And she was on. She was also on some Fox drama, too. And then obviously Danny DeVito does his thing. Um, but they always come back together. And Charlie Day. Charlie Day is probably the biggest star of the five of them. He does a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's all. It's always sunny. Have you seen episodes at all? Or? Um, I, I don't know if I've seen a full episode or not. Um, it very much is a show that like I should be watching. Yeah. I'm kind of just daunted by how many episodes there are now because I don't know how to start something and not finish. Totally. It, so. It's a it's a long term project. I probably will not be done until September mm-hmm. just because I watch. It's like my train show on the way home from work because they're like 20, 20 minutes in the episodes. Oh, uh, that makes sense. 20 minutes. 
I kind of it kind of sucks though, because like I I basically finish Act One, the I hit the Act Break, and I hit the Four Train, and I had lose all my signal, so I have to wait till I get off the train and for my walk home, I have to watch the rest, and then I oh yeah, and then I do my business when I get home, get in bed and finish it, and then go to sleep. That's more. Can you more, download more about it? The can routine you, can you download needed. it to your phone now? From Hulu? I don't know. Okay. I know you can for like other apps, but I'm not. I've never so when you're underground, it. you're just not watching it. I'm waiting for it to like. I'm waiting for the the spinning wheel of death to stop so I get to see. Oh, back. I see. I can't. I can't live my, every day of my life with the spinning wheel of death waiting. Like pisses me off. I, I I get that. Yeah. Um. At least it's available on a streaming media. Unlike the movie we're reviewing today on the Cinema Chain Gang podcast, that's Nick that's Ricardo. Good. I'm Andrew Oje. Uh, we are going to be talking and closing chain number twelve. Uh, which started with Carrie Ann Moss, who was in that terrible movie we reviewed last week, The Crew, uh, with Seymour Cassell. Seymour Cassell is in this movie, There Goes My Baby. He is in the movie with Dylan McDermott. <laughs> I have the movie in front of me. I, no, again. it's Dermot Mulroney. <laughs> Fuck. I definitely said Dylan McDermott last week, by the we, way. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh, well, whatever. Dermot Mulroney. He's in the movie with Dermot Mulroney, who stars in this 1990s movie called There Goes My Baby, which... I don't know how you found this movie, Nick, but I had to go deep. I couldn't even use my primary illegal streaming site. Yeah. I'd use my secondary illegal streaming site to find it. I found it. There's there's one rip of it on YouTube, but it's like it's a small square in the video. And then the rest is like a backdrop to kind of like like skirt privacy, uh, piracy recognition software that YouTube has. Um, so I had to find it on like, a, yeah, some random bootleg site. Yeah. Because even I honestly, I was even going to be like, I'll buy the DVD. And then give it to you after the DV or, or not. There was a VHS. It was like sixty bucks. Yeah. It, no. No. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we we don't have that in the budget. We don't. Yeah. And I ha- I already have a VHS that doesn't exist anywhere else. Um, the movie only exists on VHS, and I've I bought it like a year ago on eBay, and I've not watched it yet. So I, I keep talking. I'm gonna walk over and grab it and do a grand reveal of it. Okay. For, it. Do a grand reveal for the microphone. Do you see it right there? This is it. Yeah. yeah. This is it. Yep. That's it. It's called Reach the Rock. It is a John Hughes written movie. Okay. John Hughes wrote it and it actually stars, um, I believe. William Sadler. Oh, okay. There's somebody else in it, I Alessandra think. Alessandra Nivola. Yep. Alessandra Nivola. Many Saints in Newark, Dickie Mullins, Tassanti. Yep. yep. And uh, it doesn't exist anywhere else. It's the very last movie that I have to watch on my um, John Hughes marathon, which I otherwise finished last year. How does this not exist anywhere else? It does. It just doesn't. That's so weird. It, it must is be a very right, weird. It must be a rights thing. Maybe. It's kind of like a forgotten thing. Um, so I got the VHS, but I need to get a VCR for it. Um, and that actually goes full circle because after I finish my Hughes one, um, I'm going to be moving on to, um, from Hughes Cruise, as I called it, to Burnsing Man, which is my Edward Burns bench. <laughs> um, by the way, it's good to say, uh, I, I like that this VHS is so old, they have to specify that it's in color. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Um, so yeah, there goes my baby, which by the way, released um, in, I guess, in the UK with the title, The Last Days of Paradise. So much better of a title for this movie. Uh, yes. But, Although they do thread the the, the song, There Goes My Baby, uh, throughout the film. Um, sure. But, like, kind of. I don't know. So do you want to get into so the movie, what the deal was? The movie was made and originally intended to come out in 1991. Um, yes. It eventually made it to theaters in September of 94. It did go to theaters, um, which makes it all the more strange that you can't find it anywhere. I guess nobody was buying it on physical media. Mm-hmm. I guess that, that is the case with some movies. Like certain movies have not been upgraded for Blu-ray, but for this not to even be on DVD is very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, directed by Floyd Matrux, um, who 
there's like very, very little information about him on Wikipedia, on Wikipedia. He a lot of the people in this movie have kind of faded into obscurity with Dermot Moroni being kind of the exception. Um, and basically it's the basic premises. It takes place in 1964, right? It takes place in 1964 because they're the they're the freshman class in 61. And they're on the the cat this magazine the cover of this magazine and it's all about them living up to their potential <clears throat> as they reach the last day of um, senior year of high school in Los Angeles and this is taking place at a very precarious time in the world um, it's it's taking place during you know Vietnam is ha- is really starting yeah. to ramp up there's a lot of activism uh, and a lot of the kids in this very liberal California world are rebelling against the man and don't you know they. It's all about like how are you going to live your life after you graduate? Are you going to be an activist in the civil rights movement and the anti-Vietnam movement? Yeah. Are you going to join up and sign up for the army? Are you going to how are you going to use your voice? Are you going to stand up to like every adult in this movie is stuck in their ways. As a lot of them were back then. You know what I mean? For for the most part, I'd say yeah. every every adult in this movie is like they they hate all the kids basically and everything that they stand for. Mm-hmm. Um but they're like, it, yeah, it's just about the threat of activism at this time and how it kind of swept across the the youth nation and how it kind of cost some kids and how it empowered others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the movie set <clears throat> the historical context of the movie is um, what's go- what's going on amidst the plot um, are the Watts riots in uh, which took place in 19 in August 1965. The movie 65. Yeah, I did the bad. That was bad um, math on my part. And um, they were clat. They. They came into freshman year at 61, but they graduated yeah. 65, right? Um, so the Watts riots uh, had taken place in the Watts neighborhood of L.A. Um, and it stemmed from a confrontation between police and a black man named Marquette Fry, who was arrested for drunk driving. And when word spread around the town that he had been like brutalized by police, crowds grew and gathered and there were like an angry mob formed and it lasted for a few days in LA. Like you said, the movie initially was supposed to come out in 91, didn't come out until 94. Because of that, the movie was kind of weirdly prescient because it then kind of dovetailed with the uh, LA riots, which took place in 92, which was Rodney King when he was like, when police, he was videotaping beaten. Yeah, by so my, very similar. My dumbass, like, forgot the context of timing of history and stuff like that. And I thought that what was happening was the LA baby was, there. was Rodney King. Up until the Rodney King riots, the um, the L.A. riots, as they call them, the Watts riots were the, the biggest ones and like the most impactful ones that had occurred in L.A. Um, so it kind of it became this kind of weirdly more relevant movie, more oppression movie. Yeah, and it's, it still didn't really make an impact on anybody, though. No, it, it didn't. <laughs> now, <clears throat> it, it's like you have these movies in like the 80s and 90s that come out with like a primarily young cast of young 20s people. And sometimes it pays off, like something like The Breakfast Club paid off because everybody became a pretty good star out of that. Uh, you got something like The Outsiders, where everybody became a big star. Here, you have Dermot Mulroney and then a bunch of people who never really, yeah, never went to the to the lengths of big stars. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like like Dermot Mulroney is not like a massive star, but he's definitely big enough. So we talked last week about the crew being an homage or whatever to Goodfellas. Weirdly, this this movie kind of like paired well with that in a way to me, which is that this movie w- completely wanted to be and was inspired by American Graffiti. It's not spoofing it, not even paying homage to it. It was trying to mimic it. Derivative of it. Yeah, I would say, I see to me, it was like there, there are blatant, not blatant similarities, but they're, they're so obviously relevant to each other 
American Graffiti took place in 62. This one was 65. American Graffiti was about like cruising culture and they all hung out at Mel's Diner, at Mel's Drive-In. This movie, everybody hangs at Pop's Paradise, which is like the, the, the diner in this. Both movies open with a static shot of the place where everybody's hanging out and then the credits roll and stuff like that. Well, I'll give, I'll give you a... That's that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I'll give you a comparison that I thought of that's even more relevant to what we do here. Yeah, because it's very it, it reminded me as like kind of a spiritual sequel to Diner in a certain way, like kind of talking about like the like the youth of that time trying to figure out exactly what they're going to do with their lives in a very specific time period. Diner's right. the 50s, right? Diner's the 50s. I, Diner's a way better movie than this. Um, sure. I thought this movie was decent. I have I didn't have any like strong feelings about it one way or the other. I thought it was an acceptable coming of age drama. Yeah, I, I don't really remember. I'm not going to remember a lot of ton of details about it. I thought the acting for the most part was agreeable. The different character threads were solid. Now, I didn't think anybody gave like a spectacular performance or anything. I think you can tell like again that uh, Dermot Mulroney is definitely the person who's going to become the big actor out of this. He plays Pirate, who's one of the main guys. Um, mm-hmm. And his big through line is that him and his girlfriend. Um, he knocks up his girlfriend and basically they part ways without you finding out whether she had the baby or not. Yeah. Which is like a, a storyline, not that interesting, but like his friend, Ricky Schroeder plays stick and I didn't find his performance. Yeah, he's a kid from Silver Spoons. All, I didn't he's, find his performance all that strong to be no, honest. He's mostly known now for going viral, um, trying to go into stores without a mask or during COVID he was. He's Lovely. Because like, he's a child actor from Silver Spoons and he's like. Well, he looks like a Bond villain now. Yeah. Both of those storylines too. I, that and then like you talk about like the police firing on like black families car and stuff there's some like to to state the obvious like there there's some things that and like the abortion storyline also like oddly particularly relevant now in some way not in any way where this movie is eye-opening about anything or is 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 useful to watch um yeah but there's but, a little bit of um i know it's interesting this but kind of, it, it, yeah sort it of kind of talks about it, it almost unintentionally like you're saying because it's very specific to the 60s but there, there's kind of an evocation of how the youth of each generation gets a call to action of sorts, whether it's Vietnam yeah. and civil rights or civil rights again, yeah. or like in the eighties, civil rights again. I think, I think there's a common thread of something that we need to fix here. <laughs> yeah. And to, to finish the thread about it being like American graffiti, have you seen American graffiti? Uh, not the whole thing, but I've seen enough of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, it's weird. And it's very obviously similar but also there's something about it that is very different. And I think it kind of speaks to the time. American Graffiti is about, like I said, cruising culture. It's about innocence and kind of like the last days of these kids' innocence. They're going from high school to college or some of them are. Um, And it all takes place over one night. But at the end of the movie, and this might spoil it um, for you, but I guess that's just the business that you're in. Spoiler for Um, a 50-year-old movie, right? Yeah. That's fine. Um, But if nobody's seen it, I don't want them to hear the spoiler, so skip ahead. Um, Peter, skip ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's kind of focused on their, 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 like, last night for the most part. Um, At the end of the movie, the four main characters... Um, you know, it comes up, the title card comes up of what became of them in the next few years. And um, one of them uh, is, you know, killed in a drunk driving accident. One of them kind of like is just like an insurance broker now. And one of them uh, who you would not expect uh, was drafted and declared MIA in uh, in Vietnam. So basically that whole movie is about innocence. And then the the very last thing of it is like this title card that's like kind of reminds you a little bit of like, see, real life came. This movie 
is kind of American graffiti, but it's a few years later and real life has come in the form of Vietnam in the form of like a lot of this more political stuff. Yeah, yeah. The, it's, um, it's not a not an age of innocence the wrong way, but like, yeah, like yeah. Th- things were things got real in the 60s. Yeah. And so by definition, the movie has to deal with that stuff. Um, but it also is what keeps it from being the American graffiti that I think it wants to be. And I also looked in that, that the director of Floyd Mutrix uh, did, I think I would argue that he is an American Graffiti fan. Um, he, a few years after American Graffiti was, came out in 1973, in 75, he did a road movie with one of the guys from American Graffiti, an actor named Paul Lamott, who's like the hot rod guy from the movie. He did a movie called Aloha Bobby. And that movie in reviews was also compared to like, hey, this is too much like American Graffiti. So I I would argue that it's definitely something that he was like, you know, called in on. Also, as a side note, there is a sequel to American Graffiti called More American Graffiti, which oddly is kind of a lot more like this movie in terms of it is when real life caught up caught up with them. There is burning of draft cards and and things like that and some retconning of of things that happened in American Graffiti. Oh, that's, kind of, um, that's kind of annoying. It's not even retconning, but it, it, so I'll spoil the sequel. Uh, <laughs> spoil the entire American Graffiti franchise. Yeah. The first movie, they say Terry is is um, MIA in Vietnam. In the second movie, you find out he like faked it so he can like go AWOL pretty much. And that's because they wanted the guy in the movie because he was a beloved character in the first one. Things like that. Um, but anyway, second movie is awful, but it is doing, it's trying to cover the ground that this movie is trying to cover. So anyway, that whole thing, it's just, I think it's an interesting pairing with the crew in a way, because it's like, look at the inspiration that a movie could take on something that comes after it. Obviously in the crew, it was more of a spoof sense for a sec. And in this, it's more of, it's not a ripoff, but it is like, how do I make my American graffiti? I think that's seriously. Yeah. 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 There, there are movies that ripple like that across 10 to 15 years afterwards, as we saw with the crew, which was 10 years later. And by the way, one and this more. Is how, this is 20 years later after American Graffiti. American Graffiti was 73. Right? 73. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, the, by the way, it also, a huge part of it, and it really drove home the American Graffiti thing is American Graffiti is the thread throughout it is that uh, you're hearing the radio broadcast of a guy named Wolfman Jack, who is like an actual radio host, and he plays into the plot of the movie. And in this one, the whole thing is driven by a fictional radio host called The Beard, and he's do- it's doing the same exact thing. He's playing the hits of the time and stuff like that. You know, the, it's narrating the whole uh, now that you say that, that unlocks something in me, that the late 80s version of something like this is do the right thing because it has it takes place over one hot, summering, sweltering day. It's got to mm-hmm. do with, like, the issues of today and the mm-hmm. social tensions and stuff like that. Uh, there's a radio DJ that kind of narrates the whole thing, played by Samuel Jackson, yeah. and... Uh, it's about a lot it's a lot about how everybody in their 20s is reacting to the like the racism and casual issues in the population i think i think it's kind of telling that we're talking about better movies here more than we're talking about their absolutely and uh, yeah and also by the way it also fudges the dates in the 60s i just remembered there's a part where the uh, ricky Schroeder's character has like an endless summer movie poster up and i looked it up and that that movie did not come out for months after or a year after this was to take place yeah um so so i wish did a better job let's talk about like the different characters we talked about pirate we talked about his girlfriend played by first of all what's her name um pirate's girlfriend's name is sunshine sunshine she's played by kelly williams uh and like i said she gets pregnant and they have to make a decision and she kind of makes the decision on her own eventually and then ricky schroeder plays uh stick and he's dating tracy uh played by Kristen minter who's best known she played uh miranda on er after this 
Uh, and they kind of just hook up a lot, but he gets annoyed that she like is not all that interested in activism, and it, she just kind of dumps her, and then the, that Mir- kind of just ends. Miranda on ER famously became known as um, the source material for the thing that women say to each other: "You're such a Miranda." Actually, no, that was that would be Sex in the City. I, yeah, I, I. Oh, this is you doing the bit again. No, 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 no. This was me wondering if Sex and the City was derivative of ER, oh, like, no. a, like a derivative. Wow, this one was a train I half was I half was listening because I looked up and this this actress was in Home Alone as well. I did not realize. She was an older cousin and then never, she didn't show up in the second one. Oh, I love older cousins. She's only one of, first th- she's one of three main cast members not to return to Lost in New York. Wow. So, okay. Um, and she, like I said, they break up uh, and then she spends a lot of the night with, it takes place over a couple of days as this um, Pops Paradise, as you're saying, is closing. At yeah. the end of the week, and it's kind of a end of an era thing. Uh, so she spends a lot of the last few nights with Stick, who is played. Oh no, no, not Stick. Uh, who's the one going to uh, Vietnam? Uh, that is Stick. Oh, so Ricky Schroeder is Stick then. So I'm yeah. wrong, I've been wrong this whole time. And you didn't well, who did you say was Stick? Uh, the the guy who breaks up with Tracy. We we we've we, I've completely oh, sorry, I've I completely think. messed this up, and you didn't stop me. No, yeah, I haven't. That's Finnegan. Who who? Whatever. Who, I, this this goes. This is no Wiley. Make, this is making a point about the. Uh, okay, I didn't think he was very good. No Wiley. Okay, he was in ER too. I also didn't think Stick was very good either. Yes, he also was in ER. He won. He was nominated for five Emmys for ER. He was also in the Librarian TV movies, which I remember those being very popular on TBS and TNT. Oh, I don't even know what that is. Huh. Yeah, but he got started in Friends one episode. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, so he... Okay. Let's reset. But oh, we're not cutting this out because I think, okay. it's, I think it's making a point about the movie. It is. That, it, that it's evaporating Also, yeah, from, too many silly character names in this movie. Yeah. So Pirate and Sunshine are dating. Finnegan and Tracy are dating. Finnegan breaks up with Tracy because Tracy is not an activist. Tracy hangs out with Stick, who's being drafted to Vietnam and is kind of scared about it. And then there's Mary, Mary Beth, mm-hmm. who's the narrator of the film, yes. played by Lucy Deakins. And she is the valedictorian of the school. She wants to go to Berkeley, USC, UCLA. She wants to go to UC Berkeley and, and her parents want her to go to UCLA right. or vice and, versa. And yes. No, I think that's right. Because And they don't want her going there because it's like a dangerous activism kind of thing. And she wants to like mm. live her own life. If she's the valedictorian, I didn't really understand why she was in summer school at the end. Did they kind of go into that? But. Not that I registered. Yeah, yeah, not that I, not that I remember. Uh, she doesn't really do much. She clearly has a crush on Finnegan, uh, but he like doesn't care about her at all. Um, she doesn't do much, but also is that's probably why she doesn't do much. Like her voiceover is the she narrates the movie, and it is very heavy handed. And it is serious. Like yeah, like you were talking about the like the postscript at the end of American Graffiti, right? And yes. There's a big postscript at the end of this. The entire postscript, by the way is on the wikipedia page if you wanted me to read the whole thing but it, i'm not, it, it, yeah, I'm not going to yeah um, and it's delivered yeah it's told to you it's, it's not very it's really very clunky the yes yeah, so the entirety and i would argue that a lot a lot of what is said doesn't need to be said yeah they really both in the voiceover and also you said before pops is closing yeah um characters are graduating um the beard the radio guy talks about how he's switching from am to fm radio and this is his last broadcast all of that all of this is setting up like i was saying before with, with mary graffiti the end of of an innocence or the end of something and the beginning of something new and to talk about another movie again american graffiti does so much more with so much less it beats over the head the point of everything is ending right yeah whereas like american graffiti or the last picture so or, or something like that it you know one thing that's ending the rest could just be storylines that that you know reference ending um 
so all of that happens. It beats you over the head with it. And then you have this voiceover that is like melodramatically just seriously, really, really uh, more than driving the point home, you know, just beating a dead horse. And a lot of the, a lot of the different main relationships are like that in the movie. I felt a lot of it was not connecting. They also have a friend named uh, Calvin, Kenny Ransom. Yeah. He, he is kind of the he's the token black character for bad, right. for a better word to give them a direct connection to the riots. Right. But they don't treat him like that. They're treat, he's one of the gang, but he's mm-hmm. like the only black, prominent black character in the movie. It's hard. Yeah. To, it's hard not to note that. Um, the most compelling character are not arc, but character developments, in my opinion, took place in the background. There's this character who um, Morrissey. Talk about one of the extras. <laughs> no, 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 no. Better than that. This guy, Morrissey, who he is played by this guy, Sean Greenblatt, and he is the brother of somebody who already has died in Vietnam. And you just yeah. see him constantly protesting with a group of people outside of the, of the high school. He gets arrested constantly. And we find out that he kills himself in prison after he's arrested one last yeah. time, basically. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, don't they also allude to like he didn't kill himself, the cops killed him or something? Yeah, yeah. The, the implication is that they saw him as a threat mm-hmm. to the, the public order. Whether he was or not, it's the, the right. whole concept of peaceful protest we've talked about a lot. Um, so that I found could have been its own thing separate from all of this other stuff which was fine but nothing like crazy compelling like probably the second best arc belongs to stick because he's just like freaking out about going to vietnam then you find out he actually made it made it out fine yeah and and he's been you know he he says at the beginning that the government has kind of lied to him and said he could surf like there's a good surfing spots in vietnam and stuff like that yeah and like it's and his dad is kind of egging him on to go and everything Mm -hmm. and his He's the only adult that's actually proud of their kids in this movie, it feels like. And But yeah, I thought that was way more interesting than a lot of the other storylines that we had. Mm-hmm. This movie isn't our favorite, clearly, to talk about. But but also... It's truly, not my least favorite. I, it's I not my least favorite. And I don't... Yeah, it's not like, uh, you know... I would say I'm I'm like mixed neutral on it. I think if I would give it a letterbox rating, it'd be three out of five. So that's that actually leans mixed positive. Like if if, if for whatever reason somebody wanted to seek this out, I'd be like, all right, fine. Yeah, I don't, you won't hate it. It's pretty quick. Too. Yeah, it's what, absolutely. It's only an hour it, and a half. It, you know, yeah, it's something. If you're if you're gonna make a coming of age movie that's grappling with a lot of this stuff, it's something to it's something to watch and see how they did it. I suppose. But yeah. uh, but you don't have to because it's doing what what other movies? It's trying to do what other movies did. Yeah, this is gonna sound like a backhanded compliment, but you really could do a lot worse. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. It's 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 on the nose. It, you know, it felt TV movie. It's, it, it felt like a TV movie about all this stuff. Even a TV movie from ten years later or something about this stuff. But taking place in that time, it just felt like TV movies. Yeah, totally. Should I pay off that thread from last week where I said that there was a major actor in this? Absolutely. Um, So last week we talked about how Oscar Isaac has no lines in um, the crew. He's in the background of a scene in a kitchen. Uh, This week, Mark Ruffalo, in one of his first movies ever, uh, is in this film. He has... What? Maybe three lines. Uh, He... You can very much tell his voice and his tenor. He's like a character. Somebody asks, have you seen X Finnegan? And he's like, oh, I don't I haven't seen him in a while. And that's like the extent of it. Like, like I think, wow. I think uh, Finnegan's X is asking if anybody has seen him. Tracy has, is asking if anybody's seen him. And Mark Ruffalo is a guy that's like, I haven't seen him in a while or something like that. I, I did not notice that. But I, was also, like, I was like, is that Mark Ruffalo? So those are two major also, actor that is bigger than yeah. everybody else in yeah. this movie. In this for two is, seconds. I think this is maybe his second movie or something. Wow. Mark, early Mark Ruffalo in particular looks a ton like uh my dad like doppelganger um also 
it's, I was going to mention Mark Ruffalo on this episode because uh, his wife's name is Sunrise, very similar to Sunshine. But he was in this movie. Well, he got married in 2000, the year the crew came out. So I <laughs> That's how we cite things and not yeah. the start of the millennium. Um, the crew caused Y2K. Uh, he got married in, in, in 2000, though. So you might say, to go full circle to the beginning of the last episode, that he did this movie before Sunrise. Thank you. <laughs> that was good. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad at all. Um, I'm kind of done with this. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a couple of notes, but nothing really um, super important. Out- at the end, you find out that, you know, they tore down Pop's Paradise. They, they say they, they Pop, tore down Paradise. Pop, by way, is Seymour Cassell. Okay, yeah. But yeah. There's, there's your thread. They tore down Paradise, put up a shopping mall. It's very, very derivative. They tore down Paradise, put up a parking lot. <laughs> As if they want to. Like, maybe I couldn't tell if they were leaning into that but then why not play the song <laughs> right the song ex- did the song exist at that time or not it I existed have no idea. when the movie was made but um but probably not when the um you know when the movie takes place i, I would fact check that i feel like this i feel like that was a late 90s thing uh no it's a it's a cover oh, of oh, uh joni mitchell's song oh i see and okay yeah yeah, so yeah that big yellow taxi big yellow taxi yeah, and yeah that came okay. out in i'm okay, thinking of the county crows version which was yeah, early 2000s 1970s when joni mitchell did it so like arguably okay i guess this movie wrote it for her and then you find out pirate he like he wanted to hit the open road and drive route 66 or whatever and never actually did that he died in vietnam uh yeah and that's very similar to american graffiti too yeah they named the kid pirate which is horrible why would you you already made the mistake the first time of naming your kid pirate why would you name his son pirate as well yeah as a tribute or whatever and then you find out finnegan teaches some class about activism i believe it's called he calls it the road to freedom uh, he teaches it at UCLA. Um, yeah, and then she, and she Mary Beth, the narrator, she wrote writes a book, a book about, about called "There's Go, There Goes My Baby." And the a better title for that book would have been "The Last Days of Paradise." Like she, it, it was right there. So "There Goes My Baby" is a song by it's an Usher song as well, but um, it's by the uh, the Drifters. Yeah, by the Drifters. Um, and it's a very important song to all of them. So that's what the thread is supposed to be. And that came out in the '50s, so they they all crooned to it as a group at like a party that's one of the last indelling images of them all partying together before life takes them apart or whatever yeah 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 like i said before it's less it's less effective than american graffiti by far but it also has a lot more to grapple with just because in this movie the characters know what they're heading into whereas in american graffiti the u.s had not become involved in vietnam yet uh i mean it was going on but until jfk's presidency like that was not really a issue for the u.s and like i said i mostly just can't i my whole takeaway from it was just me wishing i was watching american graffiti because yeah. it's also one of my favorite movies so mixed positive on there goes my baby and time to end our thread right want to start a new chain let's start a new chain start a new chain man i love this it's like opening presents it's like opening presents every two episodes it's so fun to know what movies we're gonna do next nick i've got 10 actresses in front of me here so we're gonna go from let me make sure I'm right. Dermot Mulroney to one of these 10 actresses. Give me a number from one to 10 and we'll figure out who that is. 10. Number 10, Anne Hetch. What? I don't know. It just bores me. <laughs> no, that's good. Anne Hetch. Or I always thought it was Hesh, but whatever. It could be. I could be wrong. I should find that out before the next recording. Dermot Mulroney to Anne Hesh. Connected by two as per usual. They're connected by an actor named Philip Bosco, which <laughs> make me think of the Bosco thing from Seinfeld. 
my best friend's wedding, Dermot Mulroney was in my best friend's wedding with Philip Bosco. Philip Bosco starred with Anne Hesch in a movie called Against the Wall. It's a 1994 film, action historical drama, TV movie, Samuel L. Jackson's in it, um, and Kyle MacLachlan. And it's about the Attica prison riot. And who's in this? Anne Hesch is in this? Anne Hesch is in it. Uh, that is not up on her Wikipedia page. Uh-oh. <laughs> is that a TV show? It was a TV movie. Oh, that's probably why. Yeah, sure. Why not? Oh, God, this poster looks awful. Oh, boy. But somebody won a primetime Emmy for this. So, oh, it's an HBO. Oh, it's an HBO movie. Okay, we're good. Oh, okay. We're we're good. My Best Friend's Wedding is a big, it's a big profile. And I've never seen it. Sure. Yeah, Yeah. I've I've actually not. Wait, uh, let me double check that I haven't seen it. I have not. I have definitely not. Let's do it. Haven't seen it. You're right. I think it is Anne Hesh. I'm going to say it like that. All right. So Dermot Mulroney to Anne Hesh is our next chain. So our next movie. My Best Friend's Wedding, uh, one of the more influential rom-coms of all time, I believe. Yeah, if we're going back to the rom-com train. Yeah, yeah. which is good. We go back to our roots, <laughs> back to the beginning. Nice. For Nick Ricardo, I'm Andrew Auger. The chain continues. Rip Papuli, rip Tony, rip Ray. Rip Ray.